So we're all familiar with the situation in British Columbia. It's been over a week now as they've dealt with that uh, massive flooding situation that washed out highways and railways and all the rest. Well, more bad news as yet another quote-unquote atmospheric river uh, is set to bear down on British Columbia. There's new concerns about rain and more flooding in both the north and the south coasts of the province. Environment Canada has come out with just a whole slew of winter storm, wind and rain warnings and special weather statements as well for the north and central coasts. Uh, More tropical moisture on the way. 40 to 50 millimeters of rain fell by yesterday in the Kitimat area. 20 or 30 more expected. So uh, keeping a close eye on the situation there and hoping that things that have already been hammered um, don't get any worse. Meanwhile, on the ground in and around Abbotsford and uh, through the Fraser Valley, we now have about 500 Canadian soldiers uh, working on flood mitigation, trying to get things repaired, all kinds of different things. Uh, hundreds more on standby, waiting for word on when they may be headed out. And that's become a very common situation in our country, believe it or not. In the last 10 years, calls for the military to come and assist in natural disaster response has doubled in this country. And there's a growing call now to take a look at how we respond to natural disasters and where we can use civilian response teams more effectively. So to have that discussion, we're going to chat now with Josh Bowen, who is an instructor at the Nate Faculty of Disaster and Emergency Management. Josh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Shay. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this should be really interesting because, I mean, call in the military. That's what we do. That's what everybody seems to do, not just Canada. Uh, we've always done that. So why are we starting to think, you know what, maybe there's a better way. What's wrong with calling in the military? Well, first and foremost, I'll say, you know, the Canadian Armed Forces will always be there to support Canadians in their time of need. That, there's no question there. And uh, you know, having been a soldier for 13 years and deployed on four of these disaster response operations, um, it, it is one of the it's one of the biggest honors to be able to serve Canadians in their sure. time of need. Uh, and so, you know, the, the soldiers that have just deployed, I, I know several of them, uh, and and they're absolutely incredible people, uh, and they're they're going to do everything they can to help the people of BC. Where we're running into an issue, though, is if we look, I mean, I believe since COVID started, there's been about 12 deployments of the CAF, uh, Canadian Armed Forces, to support flood relief, fires, um, support the healthcare system, support Canadians, and, and there's only a limited amount of capacity. And so really when, when we're looking at this, the military is, is set up, designed, and trained and equipped to be able to respond at, you know, anywhere in the world on fairly short notice, be able to sustain themselves, be able to move around the, the environment that they need to do, whether that's going to be on foot in vehicles or in aircraft, um, and communicate with each other and, and they're organized. They bring a capability that we do not have in Canada uh, anywhere else. And if we look to our neighbors down south in the States, they've got national all-hazards incident management teams, which is, you know, they're, they're fairly large organizations that started in wildfire to be able to organize uh, wildfire fighting. Okay. And at 9-11, um, there's this great story of one of the teams came from the West Coast, uh, showed up looking like Smokey the Bear in the middle of uh, downtown Manhattan and said, we're here to help, how can we help? And that was really what started the push to New York Fire Department building their own team and then going down and helping out during Hurricane Katrina in 2006. 
and it's just grown since then. So these are similar capabilities specifically designed and trained for managing disasters. Germany's got a similar uh, system that's been around since 1950, and they actually have 80,000 volunteers wow. that are trained and organized in, uh, I believe, it's 668 different locations around Germany to be able to respond to, to disasters. And that's everything from, you know, flooding and, and fires to search and rescue to, um, you know, some of them are actually trained to be able to do the heavy urban search and rescue that requires very specific training, very specific skills that we have in Canada Task Force One in Vancouver and, and two down in Calgary, uh, and then a couple others in the in the country. But again, that's very specific skill sets, and uh, again, all almost all volunteer. And what? so we're not, we're now at this point where we're calling the military to be able to support, uh, and we don't have a civilian capability. So the military is a force of last resort, and we're calling them first. And, and, and it's expensive, I mean, obviously. But the question I have, though, is, like you said, the, the resources and, um, you know, the materials and the expertise and everything that the military brings with them, can you replace that adequately with civilian volunteer forces? I mean, that's still going to require a tremendous amount of training and, and resources, too. It, it does. Uh, it absolutely does. And, again, I mean, Germany's figured it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. The U.S. has figured it out. Australia's figured it out. The UK's figured it out. We don't have to look that far, uh, and and we don't have to look to you know beyond the the organizations and the com- countries that we normally work with. And like you say, those uh, countries it sort of organically developed there, so we sort of have a head start as to how it works and how we can develop it. Is that happening? Are are we starting to take it? Like like you said, there are some civilian response teams that already exist. I know there's one in Alberta that you mentioned. Um, is it a matter of building on that? I, I think yes. Uh, yes, and. So there, there's a, a bunch of different pieces to this puzzle, um, as with every uh, big complex puzzle. And what it really comes down to is we've got, you know, uh, the Red Cross, we've got St. John's Ambulance, we've got Samaritan's Purse, we've got Team Rubicon, and, and there's a whole lot of other different non-governmental organizations that do disaster response. And they do incredible work. And what we really need is to have that that larger organization and, and structure to be able to bring these groups together and say, you know, we, we need support here, we need support here. And we need to build on some of the capabilities that we already have. So Alberta uh, has been doing some, some incredible work uh, over the last, I want to say, five or six years, really coming out of um, some lessons learned from the, the southern Alberta floods. Mm-hmm and said, how do we organize better? How do we have capability to go and help do that organization and that leadership piece? So they're building incident management teams. Uh, there's currently five uh, in various regions around the province, plus Canada Task Force 2, our heavy urban search and rescue down in Calgary. That's being built out in terms of capability, but it's coming from municipalities. Uh, so we've got people who are... Um, work for the municipality, whether it's fire EMS or... Um, you know, within the the rest of the, the administrative structure that are able to actually deploy and support. So we've seen some some members from uh, the central region around Red Deer go up and support the Chuck Egg fire that happened a few years ago. We saw the group that's based out of the, the Edmonton region uh, went out and supported the Tomahawk fire uh, out in Parkland County this summer, uh, last summer. And we're starting to get that capability, but these teams are, are able to deploy 15, 20, 30 people at a time. Right. 
and and they're bringing what's essentially borrowed assets in terms of vehicles and and equipment. So how do we how do we bridge that gap? I mean, to me, you still need well, definitely government involvement to sort of bolster these civilian response teams, but. Could you work with the military in terms of training and logistics and things like that? I mean, you know, would it be a, an adjunct? Like you add this civilian team to the military so they take on the most of the work? I mean, it seems like it's a great idea, but there's some distance to go until they're actually as effective as they should be. Yeah, I, I think what we really need to do is look at building an independent capability, um, like what they've done in, in the U.S. and in Germany. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of training and a lot of um, uh, resourcing that's going on uh, from, especially here in Alberta. Um, so I know, I mean, Nate, we run the largest training event for this kind of thing in Canada. Uh, and we do that every year, bringing 250, 300 people from across the country together to learn how to actually respond to these large complex or, or incidents. And the province has built some training and dedicated uh, some resources to be able to support these five different teams around around the province. Um, the federal government's provided a little bit of funding to organizations like Canada Task Force 2, that heavy urban search and rescue group, um, and the other ones that are across the country. But really, it, it's we need some, some leadership from the federal level uh, to be able to say, right, this is what we're going to do. We recognize that Disasters are happening happening far more frequently with far more intensity, requiring far faster response um, to be able to actually provide that capability to save lives. Right. And that's the issue. I mean, we, we're now starting to talk about adapting and mitigating and things like that. And this is a key part of that is response, too. It, it is. Um, I mean, the irony is that... Uh, you know, we don't really pay attention to disasters until they happen, and, yeah. and it's, it's too late. And so we need to respond. The stats are that at a minimum, for every dollar you invest in mitigation and preparedness, so that, that planning and training piece, you save 6 to $10 in a response wow. and even more in recovery. So we're now hitting these billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar disasters. And if we'd invested in mitigation, uh, in preparedness, and making sure that, that we've got the capability to, to reduce the impact ahead of time, we're going to be saving tenfold coming out the other end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and these discussions happening all over, Josh, it, it, I mean, it's the direction we're headed, and I appreciate your insight this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. That is Josh Bowen. He's an instructor at the Nate Faculty of Disaster and Emergency Management. And those are the discussions that are happening now, right, is adaptation, mitigation, and improving our response. And I think, you know, he mentions civilian response teams. And and uh, when we talked about this last week, a couple of people pointed out, we have one of those in Alberta. We do. Uh, but it's not big enough. And we need to, to maybe... Maybe that's the route we need to go. Some of you on the text line are saying, well, we can use our military. Why not? You know, they're not doing anything anyway. But I think they are. Uh, I, I think that's part of the discussion is, you know, we're pulling the military away from whatever else it is they're doing. And uh, maybe there's a better way and a quicker way and a more effective way. So 